Exodus means the exit. And we've been talking over many weeks now, as we've been making our way through a study of the book of Exodus, about how this book describes God liberating his people, setting his people free from bondage, and how God wants to do that in each of our lives, in the areas of, of our lives where we have been bound, where we have been restrained from the life that God intends for us, or pressed into a life that is not the one he intended for us, God wants to liberate us, to set us free. And uh, so the book of Acts gives us, I mean, the book of Exodus gives us a lot uh, of instruction about how God goes about that. As we've followed the story of the children of Israel and, and their liberation from bondage in Egypt, they, we followed them as at the beginning stages of their journey toward their promised land, and they have come to, uh, by the time we reached Exodus chapter 20, a place called Mount Sinai. The, and uh, so we are stocked, stopped there with the children of Israel at Mount Sinai, Sinai, excuse me, where Moses ascended that mountain to receive from God the Ten Commandments. Now these Ten Commandments, I'm sure most of you have heard them or been familiarized with them in some form. God, the Bible says, God himself, the maker of all things, carved them into stone. Not once, but twice. And so if God intended for these Ten Commandments to be so, pro, um, so uh, uh, preserved, it, it, I think, behooves us to become acquainted with them, to learn what God meant by, by giving these commandments to us. And so we are spending a week on each of these Ten Commandments. And we've talked about the first two. Today we come to the third. Now, we've also been learning uh, to memorize or remember the Ten Commandments uh, using the ten fingers on our two hands. And... Um, and uh, so I'm going to rehearse a couple of those with you today and introduce the third. The, the first of the Ten Commandments is, you shall have no other gods before, we, before me. And the way we memorized that was, I asked you to close your left eye. With your right eye, look at a light. Take your right thumb and block that light out. Because that reminds us not to put anything in front of God. You shall have no other gods before me. The second of the Ten Commandments is don't make for yourself a carved image. And I asked you to take the index finger of your right hand and, and hold it up like I'm doing right now and imagine that that was a totem pole or something of that fashion with a carved face on it. And that reminds us don't make uh, carved images. And we talked um, two weeks ago all about why God gave us that command. And then the third commandment is uh, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. And we remember that using the middle finger on our right hand, but you've got to be really careful because people can use this finger in a profane gesture, yes? And that actually helps us. Don't do it, but it helps us because we are, the, ten, the third commandment is about not using God's name in a vain or profane way. So the third finger on your left hand, or right hand will remind you, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. The fourth commandment is remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And the reason or the way we remember that is that the fourth uh, finger on your right hand is really the seventh from the end. And the Sabbath day is the seventh day. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. The fifth commandment is honor your father and mother. And the way we remember that is with the baby finger of our right hand. Baby finger. Remember father and mother. Honor father and mother. 
the sixth commandment is you shall not kill. And when you imagine the pinky finger on your left hand like a, like a dagger or knife, don't kill. Uh, the seventh commandment is don't commit adultery. On my ring finger of my uh, left hand, I have a ring that reminds me I'm a married man. Don't commit adultery. Uh, the eighth commandment is don't steal. And so if you take the middle finger of your left hand with your thumb and kind of go like this, you can imagine don't steal, don't steal. The ninth commandment is don't bear false witness. So you take your index finger of your left hand and don't be pointing at it. People don't bear false witness against another. And then the 10th commandment, and we, we uh, picture uh, using our thumb and fingers, a C, don't covet, don't covet. And that's how we remember the 10 commandments and those um, are, are uh, all 10 of them. And they are, as I said, something that God intended for us to know, to pay close attention to. And so that's what we're trying to do in these days. Now, the third commandment, which is, don't take the name of the Lord in vain is really about holiness, holiness. Let me make some preliminary remarks before we uh, look at a couple of verses in 2 Timothy. And by the way, in case you're not there yet, remember we're turning to 2 Timothy chapter 2. The first thing I want to say is that names are powerful. Names are powerful. They carry substantial emotional charges and imagery. This past week was the 60th anniversary of the uh, liberation of the some of the concentration camps in Nazi Germany. When I say the name Adolf Hitler, it brings images, it brings feelings to our minds and hearts that you can't stop. If you say the, the name Juanita. That's my mother's first name. When you say that, it brings to my mind and to my heart feelings, images, experiences, and things. I can't stop them from happening. It just comes because they're tied to her name. Names are powerful, and they do carry these, these um, emotional uh, and, uh, charges and, and images with them. They are the handles we use to connect to the character and personality of others. This past Monday, our youngest grandchild was born, and his mom and dad gave him a name. Now, they have known for months that their baby was going to be a boy. But it wasn't until a couple of days before his birth that they arrived at a name. They, they thought long and hard about it. Why? Because names are powerful. They're the ways that we hold on to people. It's the grip that we get on others' lives. It's how we uh, relate to one another. And I want to read you what they wrote to us about how they chose this name. My daughter's name is Shiloh. She's writing. Her husband's name is Aaron. Baby has a name, she says. Redmond James Herkimer. Aaron felt like he would be like an oak tree, a protector of people. So Redmond means wise protector. I felt like he would be steadfast, that he would always make his presence known. So James means supplanter, and the beginning of the book of James talks about being steadfast. So they thought long and hard about how they would name their child because names are powerful. 
Um, and the, the <laughs> uh, you, you know, re- some of us, myself included, uh, are not real happy about our names. Um, our son, his name is Jeremy. His, his older siblings um, had what he considered to be cool names. Dayspring and Shiloh, oddly enough, both of them thought their names were weird. But um, we had specific reasons why we gave them those names. And as the years have gone by, they have become more comfortable with them. But I remember Jeremy coming to us as a, at a, young, as a young boy. And, you know, we'd given him a name that was meaningful to us and yet not quite as out there as the other two. And here's what he said. Why didn't you give me a cool name like my sister's? And so it's interesting. We don't often, uh, you know, feel... That our name, I always wanted to be called Sky. (laughs) Sky Bolt. Wouldn't that be great? But anyway, I I didn't get that name, and so I've struggled along with the one that I've got. Regardless of whether you like or dislike your name, uh, or approve or disapprove of it, is, is the one you have. One of the members of our congregation recently um, said to me, you know, I, I've, been, I've been telling people that my name is such and so for a long time, but really uh, it isn't, and I want to tell you what my, my name is. And so she told me her name, and it was just a little bit different than the version she's been giving to others. And it's a little out of the ordinary, and that's why she didn't, Uh, ever present that as her name to people but she realized you know what I need to get comfortable with who I am and I need to start using my given name so she has because names are powerful and abuse of a person always begins by devaluing their name you know some time ago I was uh, I got on the freeway near my house to, to drive here I think And um, it was early morning, and there's no one else on the road. But I could see through my rearview mirror someone gaining on me in another car, and fast. And uh, you know, I'm not a slow driver, so that was that was a a a fairly sizable task to get past me. But they did. They came roaring by me, and as soon as they got by me, they swerved into my lane and put on the brakes, just to mess with me. I don't know what was in, and then this guy started doing all of these kinds of things to try to run me off the road and stuff. I've never had that kind of experience before. It was unnerving, and I don't know what was going on except that he just had in his mind, he didn't want anybody sharing the road with him that day. But I'll bet you, I'll bet you any amount of money that before he started doing any of that stuff, he called me a name. Because you can't devalue a person till you've devalued their name. Names are powerful. And devaluing a person's name diminishes all they represent. So when God says, don't use my name in vain, it's not just because he's got an ego problem. I can guarantee you God does not care about the fact that you would call him anything but what you know but god because he's got an ego problem or that you would misuse his name in some way because he has an ego problem everything god would ever command or demand of us is for our good 
when we devalue the name of God and we, then we are devaluing what he represents, the impact is on us, not him, because God's name is powerful. God's name is powerful, and he is the only standard of holiness. He is the only standard of holiness. Do you, you realize there's nothing in this world that's completely pure? Nothing. The Department of Agriculture or whoever it is, that uh, Food and Drug Administration, whoever it is that's, in, that's involved in um, giving permission for food products to be made available to the public in this country, um, they have regulations about how, what the percentage of contaminants may be in any given product because there is no, nothing pure. Nothing. Look on a bottle of water and it'll say, you know, 99 point whatever percent, not 100% pure. I don't care if they get it from Fiji or an Esker in Canada, wherever it is. It's not, there's nothing pure in this world except God. And when we devalue his name, we diminish the only standard of holiness. And there is something in each of our hearts that wants to step up. Most of the time, we live in a, we live surrounded by such a coarse and holy and um, uh, uh, um, polluted environment uh, that we we just labor under this kind of unconscious sense of, man, there's, there must be something more. We want to step up. We want to raise the bar. We don't want to continue to have the bar lowered. You know how it is when, you know, there's debates constantly about our school systems and what kind of measurements are appropriate to determine whether someone has accomplished what they need to by the time they, we hand them a diploma. The diploma is only meaningful if it measures a certain level of achievement, right? As long as we keep lowering the bar of what is, needs to be achieved to, be, to gain that diploma, the, the value of that diploma is being made less and less and less and less, right? We live in a culture where the standard of holiness, because we completely devalue God's name, is continually being diminished. Disrespect for God's name diminishes all measures of beauty, nobility, excellence, goodness, honesty, righteousness. That's why we live in a world where we all have that sense of, man, it's just, what, couldn't it be better? Yes, it could be better. Yes. When we go uh, to um, uh, an art exhibit or we listen to music or watch a film and we come away thinking, wow, wasn't that great? Well, yes, it was, but according to what standard? Has the bar or the standard of beauty and excellence and goodness and those things been so lowered that we're applauding ourselves for our accomplishments but they don't really mean much anymore? 
Now, <clears throat> the, we can misuse God's name in two ways. One is we can use God's name in vain. We can use it in vain, or empty is what that means. We can use God's name in an empty way. A couple of the ways that people will do that is by exclamations, and I'm guilty of this as much as anyone. I'll say, good Lord, or oh my God. In fact, we have an abbreviation, OMG, oh my God. I'm not thinking about God at all when I'm doing that. I'm just making an exclamation. I'm using his name, just throwing his name around in an empty, vain way. I'm disrespecting, dis devaluing his name. What if I went around saying, good Sue? <laughs> right? I mean, all we're doing is devaluing the name of God when we do that in an empty way. Another way that we use God's name in an empty way is when we try to use it to validate things that he's not authorizing, such as when people come to me and they say, God told me, Pastor, to do thus and so, or surely God has given me an excuse to be able to do this, and we throw God's name around to validate what we want to do, right? Try to stamp his name of approval on our uh, you know, behaviors. So that's one way. Another way that we misuse God's name is in a profane way. Profane. And that's that word profane we're going to encounter here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16 in just a minute. That means trample on, and I don't need to probably give you much of an explanation, but when people say, God blank it, they're using God's name in a profane way, as though they were stamping on his name, and we've all experienced that, and uh, so it doesn't need much more explanation. So there's two ways that we can, we can misuse God's name. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16, because now we are coming up uh, to a subject that is related, and then we, it's not exactly the same thing, but we cannot avoid it uh, as we discuss the third commandment, and that has to do with profanity in general. Chapter 2, 2 Timothy, verse 16, but shun or turn away from profane and idle or vain babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. The more we engage in profane and vain speaking, it says here, ungodliness increases and get this verse 17 and their message will spread like cancer we are unleashing when we engage in profane and profanity we are unleashing something that hurts us and that's why god gave us the third commandment i want to talk to you just briefly about what we trade when we engage in profanity because we are uh, trading away some things. <clears throat> Profanity trades intelligence for convenience. Rather than thinking through an intelligent response, we just shoot from the hip and fire off some sort of F-bomb or something like that. So we don't put, press ourselves to become thinking people. It's just easier to just throw off something like that. And when we do, we're lowering the bar. Another thing that profanity trades is character for acceptance. 
Rather than being a person who moves through this world with character, we choose to be like everyone else. Well, that's how everybody else says things. I mean, and right now we live in a, in a world where profanity is, is so um, um, widespread that it's almost every other syllable. In fact, I watch, I watch a couple of, of um, shows on television. I watch The Amazing Race and I watch Survivor. And um, these shows are real people in real situations, right? And I've been watching these shows for, for a decade or more now. And over that period of time, it's become increasingly <laughs> difficult. They, now they have to add subtitles at the bottom because every other word they have to bleep out. It, the, the, our culture is becoming increasingly coarse in this way because we are trading character for acceptance. We are also trading true communication for confrontation. You know, there are tough conversations that we have to have with one another. And when we do, learning how to communicate is what we need. But what we'll settle for often is confrontation. And the minute you speak a word of profanity, everybody's back on their heels, their guns are cocked, and it's a war. The minute, you, just, you know this. The minute someone says, you fill, you know, fill in the blank, I didn't say anything just then, right? <laughs> you know the thing is going to be turning into a battle. And we are losing the art of communication. Another thing we trade for profanity is authority for abusiveness. There are so many people today who think that the way you exercise authority is by using more profanity and a louder voice than the person that you're trying to exercise authority over. We've all been on the receiving end of that kind of stuff, and you know it isn't authority you're encountering. It's abuse. Authority comes from a, a deeper place. It comes from your life's integrity. It comes from your, uh, the, the values that you hold. You don't have to, when you are a person of authority, you don't have to raise your voice. You don't have to become obscene and profane. Uh, but that's what we're settling for. Finally, uh, and I'm sure there's more, but in my list here, we're trading humor for vulgarity. And I think for the most part, our culture has lost a sense of what humor truly is. I can't, honestly, I can't listen to mo what passes for humor these days because it's, it's not funny. It'll get a laugh, but it, I don't even know why. Now, there are a few people, a few standouts that are working to try to help us to regain a sense of what humor is, like um, Tim Hawkins. Every once in a while, we show his videos around here and stuff like that, and thank God for it. But as a, as a, at a, whole, as a whole, our culture is losing a sense of what true uh, humor is, and it's just all vulgar. And yeah, I'm an old guy, and you could just write me off as, you know, some prude. But I think if you think harder than that, you'll see that when God said, don't, don't take my name in vain, there was a point to it, a purpose to it, a value that we need to honor and respect because we want to raise the bar. We want 
the, our standards, the things that we're shooting for, to be high, like God. We don't want to settle for, well, just whatever. I'm going to ask you to stand your feet now, and I'm going to ask you to join with me in obeying the third commandment. Go ahead and stand. I, I would, I'm here today along with you to say, God, I need to change some things in my life. And so that begins by confessing our sin. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9, the prophet, I mean, excuse me, verse 5, the prophet says this. He says, woe is me, I am undone because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Woe is me, because I'm a man of unclean lips. Lord, woe is me, because I'm a man of unclean lips. I may not have used any of the words on the prohibitive list, but I use words in profane ways, and I certainly have used your name in vain ways. God, forgive me. Maybe that's a prayer you need to pray as well. We need to ask the Lord to heal our hearts because this is not an issue about, you know, uh, just some list of words we shouldn't be using. This has to do with something deeper. Luke chapter 6 verse 45 says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So I don't even know I can, that I can explain it to you. But the Bible says that this stuff is a heart issue. Lord God, get to whatever you need to in my heart that should be changed, that should be realigned with you so that my lips bring forth good. That what I say represents you well, honors your holiness. Now there are certain habits some of us have developed, me too, that we need to change. And habits are hard to break. But thank God we have a God who wants to help us with that. In Psalm 141, verse 3 says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. The psalmist is praying, God, I need your help here. Watch, set a guard over my lips. Alert me when I'm going to say something that I shouldn't. That I might change and redirect my habits around this. Lord, help us. This is recording number 11156 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, April 12, 2015. This is the ninth message in a series titled, The Exit. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Holiness. <laughs> 